a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. What does it mean to follow Christ outside the walls except to follow Him in places that are less sheltered, less secure, less safe, less predictable, less ordinary. Following Christ outside the walls is a scary proposition. Um, Whether those be the walls of our church or the walls of the city or the walls of our own preconceptions, following Christ outside the walls really necessitates us going outside of where is comfortable and entering into dangerous territory. It's a dangerous thing more so, though, for us if we are to, uh, to find ourselves in following Christ, only ending up in the places that we would expect. Christ, when he walks, walks in unexpected ways. Christ is the one who decided to walk through Samaria instead of around it. Christ is the one who crossed the crossed the sea in the middle of a storm. He's the one that as they get out of the boat, they take a swing by the cemetery where there's the demoniac who uh, has been possessed and ostracized out of his community. Christ is the one who detours their uh, their accepted and expected place of ministry to see who it was that touched the hem of his garment. Christ, if we are following him closely, is going to take us someplace that we don't expect and that on the face of it is a little bit uncertain and uncomfortable. I'm reminded of the story at the end of the Gospel of John where he's talking to Peter. They've just, they've just um, encountered this person on the shore after a night of fishing. And this person, Jesus, says to them, why don't you cast your net on the other side? And they do, and they catch a huge amount of fish. And Peter recognizes that this has happened before. And he jumps out of the boat and into the water and swims to where Jesus is on the shore. And when he arrives, Jesus has a fire. And he says, well, let's have some breakfast. This is just a really kind of an odd story. Uh, But this is the story, you know, where Jesus says to Peter, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, Lord, you know that I love you more than anything. He says, okay, well, feed my lambs and then feed my sheep. And he, he asks this three times. We know this story, but immediately after this, immediately after he finishes asking this, he then goes in to saying, when you were younger, You dressed yourself and you walked wherever you wanted. But when you're older, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and they will carry you where you do not want to go. That's an interesting thing to say. And John gives us some context here at the end of the gospel. He says uh, that Jesus said this in order to signify the kind of death that Peter would die in order to glorify God. Now, if John is giving us that context, it's safe to assume that Peter, in the midst of it, understood that context. And so here, Peter is hearing from Jesus, hey, you're going to die and it's going to glorify God. Immediately after that, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. 
its bookends because the first time that Jesus met Peter, he invited him into that relationship as well. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And here he says, knowing everything you know, seeing everything you've seen, and knowing that it will result in your own death, follow me. And that relationship was so strong that Peter did, right? This is not a story of, oh, poor Peter. Peter followed him joyfully. So he serves for us as an example of of what it can look like if we follow after Jesus, to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow him. And this self-denial is not just um, because we like self-denial. It's not because, oh, gosh, you know, I need a little bit more asceticism in my life and, and a little bit less pleasure. No, the, the whole reason that we deny ourselves, the whole reason that we take up our cross is for the purpose of following Christ, There's a story in um, a book by C.S. Lewis, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, where one of the children picks up this this bracelet, this golden bracelet that he, he sees and he wants, and he takes it for himself. And upon taking it for himself, he turns himself into a dragon. Stay with me. If you've read the book, you know where I'm going. If not, it's a, it's a lovely children's book that is an allegory of the spiritual life. So he takes this bracelet and it turns him into a dragon. And he finds that there's a number of things he can do as a dragon, but one of the things he can no longer do is escape the island, right? He can't fit on the boat that he came in because he's too heavy as a dragon. And he can't fly far enough or have enough endurance to make it to any other place of land without eventually getting too tired and having to get to the water and then not being able to stay afloat. And and so he is trapped here on this island because of the thing that he wanted, the thing that he indulged himself in and carried uh, with him. And no matter what he tried to do, he could not divest himself of that. He tried to pull it off and he couldn't pull it off. It was stuck on his arm. And it took the the divine character of Aslan, uh, basically tearing it off of him in a way that was painful and yet was also freeing. Because in that process of ridding himself of that bracelet, he was able then to, to become who he really was, again, to become the child, to get on the boat and to find freedom from the island and make his way further on the journey. So too, this is the reason that we deny ourselves because the things that we take to indulge ourselves end up becoming weights that prevent us from following Christ. It's not just for the sake of denying ourselves. It's for the sake of preparing ourselves and our spirits to travel quickly and lightly wherever it is that Christ would lead us. And so we hear this call like Peter did, If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. So here we are. We're coming into the season of Lent. And whenever we get to this time of year, there's always this struggle, this uh, frantic search for that thing. What do I do uh, this Lent? Because uh, it's, it's snuck up on me. 
and and yet I have to do all the things, right? I've got to I've got to properly do Lent in order to enjoy. There's almost it's almost a Lenten penance just to figure out your Lenten penance. But we're invited into these practices of prayer and fasting and almsgiving to prepare us to live the spiritual life in a full manner and to fully celebrate the season of Easter. And so we struggle with this question every year, but but because of this promise of the Easter celebration, we have to ask ourselves anyway, what are you going to do for Lent? What practices are you going to pick up? What things are you going to give up? This is... Um, this is a decision that I encourage you not to take lightly or to just um, make an assumption about. You know, a lot of times we, we have the thing that we give up every year and we'll go, of course, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give that up. Uh, and maybe I'll do really well at it and maybe I won't. Um, but it's just kind of built in and wrote. And I want to invite you and encourage you to take some time to actually discern, to ask a friend or a spouse or a spiritual director uh, to for some insight, for some thoughts about what they see that would make a, a fruitful Lent for you. And then take some time in prayer and say, okay, um, I, I have this thing that I, I thought that I was going to do that I have done many times. And is this really the right thing for me this year? And maybe take some time in quietness and in adoration and then just sitting in silence until your brain calms down. It takes me a while to do that. Uh, and, and listen for what it is the Holy Spirit would say to you. In what way does he want you this year to take up your cross and to deny yourself for the purpose of following him? It's really easy to do one of two things when it comes to this Lenten practice. The first thing that it's really easy to do is to pick something that is not too difficult, something that's going to be really easy to give up that we're really not even going to think about. It's just, you know, second nature that, oh, well, I guess I have to give this up because it's Lent. And when we do that, when we give up something that is so easy we never think about it, then we're not actually growing at all in the spiritual life. We're just doing the motions of the Lenten observance. The Lenten observance ought to be uh, an obvious thing. As we say, we're going to follow Christ outside the walls. When you leave, and of course right now where I am, it's really cold. When you leave the walls, all of a sudden you recognize uh, that the environment is different. You, you have to prepare for it. You have to put on the right clothes and then go out and it's still an obvious difference. So in the thing that you're selecting, make sure that it's something that you'll notice. Uh, make sure that as you go outside the walls, you feel the outsideness of being there. The other difficulty, the other uh, danger is to pick something that is so hard that you can never live up to it. You can never actually pull it off and then you're left just feeling as though uh, you can't do anything right, right? If we select either something that's too easy or we select something that's too difficult, it doesn't bear the fruit it's meant to bear in our spiritual lives. So I encourage you, don't this year pick the thing you're going to give up. Rather, spend some time in discernment. Spend some time in prayer 
and ask around to those people who you trust and take that time to discern what it is the Lord is asking you to give up and what practices he's asking you to pick up as you prepare yourself through the Lenten observance to celebrate faithfully and fully the Paschal mystery, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're still not sure, if you don't know even where to turn or how to discern, well, there's all kinds of resources out there. There are uh, there are blog posts, there are uh, books, there are all kinds of people who have gone before us, who have walked this road of Lenten practice before, and who can help us in our discernment. And that's what we're going to talk about on the show here today. We're going to talk with an expert and uh, help us get our <laughs> way through and figure out how how do we approach this Lent in a way that will be spiritually beneficial to us. Not just that, hey, we did Lent well, look at me, pat me on the back, but that actually will will be spiritually beneficial and help us to grow in our Catholic faith. So we're talking today with Dr. Maria C. Morrow. She's the adjunct professor of Catholic studies at Seton Hall University. She's also the author of the book, Sin in the 60s, Catholics and Confession, available on CUA Press. Uh, so she's thought about this a lot. I first came across her a couple of years ago when I was looking for something to do, and someone posted this thing on my Facebook that took me to her website, gograyforlent.blogspot.com. It is the the U.S. spelling, G-R-A-Y, just in case you're like me and prefer the other one and are bad at spelling. Uh, gograyforlent.blogspot.com, and it's a fantastic little thing where you... um, you make your phone less colorful and less enticing and help yourself to focus on the things that really matter. That's how I came across her. But now there's even more as she's the author of a new book on OSV Press called A Busy Parent's Guide to a Meaningful Lent. Does that sound like you? I know it sounds like me. Maria, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So you relate one of these stories early on in the book as you're talking about how to approach this book of struggling to find what's the thing um, that you're going to do for Lent. And I'd love for you to share this story because I really love it when, I mean, you you need to throw your husband under the bus. It just, (laughs) it needs to happen. Well, I wouldn't want to do that. But so one of the, I guess it would have been our, yeah, our first Lent together as a married couple. I was pregnant and expecting our first child. She was due on Easter Monday. And so um, as we approached the season of Lent, my husband was asking me what I was going to give up for Lent. And of course, this is my first time being pregnant. So I had I definitely had a woe is me complex going on. <laughs> and so I said, oh, I think I'm going to weigh a lot of extra weight and not be able to climb up and down steps without getting out of breath and um, have constant acid reflux. And I don't know, maybe I'll also give birth, you know, and uh I tend to be sarcastic and he tends not to be. So he responded, <laughs> ha that's funny, but no, really, what are you giving up for Lent? So anyway, <laughs> God bless him. Right. He, he was well-intentioned. He was well-intentioned. <laughs> but we do, we have that struggle. And, and a lot of times you might look at your life circumstances and say, you know, we just, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's not yet finished. Mm-hmm. Don't I have enough going on right. in my life that that I shouldn't have to give up extra things for Lent. So let's, first of all, let's talk about what's the purpose of the Lenten observance and what can okay. it look like when we're going, when we're 
undergoing a lot of extra things uh, right. that would not just be bearing it and continuing on with our with our drudgery, but actually preparing ourselves and making that drudgery in some sense beneficial. Right. It's uh, it's challenging to think about because, I mean, just being a parent, as you stated, you know, we already have so many challenges and difficulties in our lives. And the thought of trying to add something in that's going to complicate our lives further or make it even more miserable than it sometimes feels. And especially in this context of the pandemic, with a lot of our kids, you know, spending more time with them and not being able to go out at all and all the other stresses it's put on us, it can be really hard to, to try to commit yourself to Lent. But, and kind of the point of that first story about when I was pregnant with our first child is that we should try to do something because, so Lent is really, it's a kind of spring training and the traditional triad of like prayer and fasting and almsgiving, those are things that we as Catholics should do all the time, all year round. Um, but Lent is a special time for us to really hone in on that in preparation for the great celebration of Easter. And I think maybe this is just my personality or my upbringing as a Catholic, but I think a lot of times we go into it with the wrong idea that this is about me living heroic virtue by myself and proving to everyone what an amazing person I am and my great self-control at not touching chocolate or whatever it is. <laughs> and, uh, and there is an element, I mean, it definitely takes a lot of commitment and self-control, so that's good. But if we finish the season of Lent, you know, prideful and patting ourselves on the back, oh, look at me, I'm so great at doing Lent, then we kind of haven't lived Lent as we're really meant to. So as parents, we have a daily opportunity to sort of mortify ourselves and to offer up these challenges and, you know, the inconveniences that we wouldn't face if we didn't have all these children. And we're still going to have them during the season of Lent. But at the same time, we have this 40 plus day period that really gives us an opportunity to try to um, reevaluate and kind of hone in on trying to live the Catholic life in the midst of this busyness of family life, but also with an eye to our own sins, which again, I think sometimes when you're a parent, you know, it's really easy to be critical of the people around us and we see our children's failures and we see our, you know, spouse's failures. And actually sometimes we can also be very critical of ourselves and the way we fail at being a parent. And so Lent is a good time to sort of embrace those failures of ourselves, ourselves especially, and to try to um, do penance with an eye for, you know, um, it's not like we can ever make up for our sins, so to speak, with an evil, an even sort of accounting that like, well, we did this offense against God and now we can make up for it by doing X penance. It's not like that because we're never going to be able to do enough penance for the sins that we commit. But God is really pleased by that effort, and we notice a lot of grace in our lives when we're willing to make the effort. Yeah, and I th this is, I think, important because when we when we approach Lent as self help, or when we approach Lent as <clears throat> look at look at what I'm going to give up and look how heroically I can live this, we end up focusing in the wrong direction because Lent right. is Lent is meant to be a focusing lens that helps us. Uh, to to understand what it means to belong to the family of God and and to put our focus and our gaze on on the crucifixion on 
what's coming up in Easter so that we can celebrate Easter well. If we're looking at ourselves the whole time and then Easter comes along, we're looking in the wrong direction. We're not looking to the empty tomb. We're looking to, hey, look how great I look because I worked out every day this, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, <clears throat> spiritually or physically or however you want to look at that. And so um, I wonder what we can learn from the the ancient practice or even the the more recent modern practice of Lent, uh, because, you know, we you mentioned one of our, our great heroic virtues is, now is keeping our hands off of chocolate, and yet this is, this is not what the Lenten fast has traditionally been. Uh, in fact, right. the Eastern churches uh, and Eastern Catholic churches continue to do a lengthy fast, and not only a fast, but an abstinence from meat and from any any animal product. So it's really a kind of a right. a vegan fast for a very lengthy period of time, uh, for the sake of con- really reminding ourselves what our appetites should be hungering for, rather than for the things that that right. that we like today, the, the chicken fried steak or something. Yes. It's uh, To me, it's very impressive that they still manage to do that. And of course, I think a lot of it has to do with that they're all doing it together. So mm-hmm. it's a community that's engaging in this practice together. So, And I do talk about this in my first book, Sin in the 60s, about the change that occurred where um, fasting was required of all Catholics in the United States up until the Lent of 1967. So, uh, and that was when it was replaced with this voluntary Lenten penance. And I think uh, the bishops were very well-intentioned there because the United States is such a diverse society. And even now, if you think of, you know, people that are vegetarian, it's not very, it's not a sacrifice at all to not have meat on Fridays or whatever. Um, And so they were really trying to make it so that you can do something that, specifically addresses sort of your needs and um, trying to do penance and preparing for Easter. But in losing that sort of the corporate, you know, working together as a community, we sort of, um, it opened the way for it to become this heroic, prideful, you know, what I'm doing for Lent kind of thing, I guess. (laughs) Well, and I understand, um, I, it, it sometimes frustrates me, um, but I understand that the the churches drive for mercy because she doesn't want mm-hmm. to she doesn't want to require something of us right. that is impossible for some people. Um, yes, my frustration is not so much with the church; it's with us that we say, "Oh, well, the church only requires this. That's all I have to do." Right. I mean, I think that's a long-standing thing, though, to try to go with the bare minimum requirement, and it's really hard. And then, you know, now that it's voluntary too, it's like, if you go really above and beyond again, it it can tend to reflect back on ourselves that, oh, we're the type of people that don't just do the bare minimum. Yeah. So, uh, but keeping your sins always in front of you throughout the season of Lent, and then also trying to unite whatever you're doing to Christ and thinking about his time in the desert and then his time, the passion and the death. I think that's all a very important part of Lent. And I mean, I actually do normally give up sweets for Lent. So even though we joke about giving up chocolate, but I love chocolate and that is a sacrifice. I don't think um, that's the other risk. We have to like sort of not try to belittle other sacrifices or um, there even there's always a trend every year that someone 
post something about making a difference this Lent, you know, and what a difference if we all gave up plastic bags or, and looking for something that's going to have an effect, like a natural effect. Mm -hmm. And that's not really what Lent is all about. I mean, we definitely need to be concerned about the environment and try to be conscious consumers and that kind of thing. But Lent isn't about trying to have some amazing natural effect. It's about letting the supernatural grace work in our own lives. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wonder, um, as I look at the, the various Lenten penances, if there would be some benefit to returning to some communal practice of it. Is there maybe something that you can do in a small group that, or, or something within some members of your parish that you can say, you know, this year, why don't we do this penance together? Yes. So I think, uh, I think that would really, really be powerful to have sort of a community doing penance together and being open and forthright about what they're doing and then supporting each other as in the past with fasting. And actually when I, started the Go Gray for Lent, one of the things I wanted to do was kind of have a a Facebook page, you know, so it could be a community of people that knew they were all doing it together instead of just, I could have just gone grayscale on my own and not, you know, done that. But I thought, wouldn't it be nice if there were people that were all supporting each other this way? So I think our modern technology does give us a way to do that. Um, But kind of going back to my, my newest book on a busy parent's guide to a meaningful Lent, I think one of the great gifts of the Lenten season are these daily mass readings that are given to us during the season of Lent. And so if you want to talk about doing something together as a church, I mean, just tuning in and trying to, if you can get to mass every day during Lent, that's amazing. Um, Not everybody feels comfortable with that right now. And sometimes, sometimes a busy parent, for example, might not actually be able to get to mass, but we can still look at those readings for each day. And in my book, I have them, they're listed for every day. The readings are listed so you can look them up. And then there's a reflection on those readings. And so again, in terms of trying to do something together as a church, I mean, it's an amazing thing to think that all across the country and all across the world, every Catholic would be hearing these same readings. And the church has really planned those in a way to facilitate our Lent so that by the time we get to Easter, we're sort of primed, we're prepared to celebrate Easter. So um, so that's one of the reasons why I wrote this new book was to try to provide a way for parents to partake in those daily readings and reflections. There's also some questions that you can think about to sort of extend it throughout the day, as well as, you know, having the traditional practices tied in there as well, the fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. We're talking today with Dr. Maria C. Morrow. She's an adjunct professor of Catholic studies at Seton Hall University. And the book is The Busy Parents Guide to a Meaningful Lent, available on our Sunday Visitor Press. Go to osv.com and pick up your copy today. And then come over to our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I want to hear a little bit about what you're thinking. What are you hoping for out of this Lent What do you think this year will bring that will be different than what you've experienced before? Come tell me in the comments. Let's have a conversation. And there's more to this conversation with Dr. Maria Morrow just right after this break as we delve into what our Lenten practice should bring about in our lives. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. And we're talking today with Dr. Maria C. Morrow, who is an adjunct professor of Catholic studies at Seton Hall University. She's got a great book out uh, on OSV Press called A Busy Parent's Guide to a Meaningful Lent. And you know that 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 title grabbed my attention. Um, It's hard when you've got a, a, a whole gaggle of children around to figure out uh, what's for dinner, much less what are the things that I'm going to do to prepare myself for Easter, which is still a couple of months down the way. Uh, but now's the time. So what do we do to help focus ourselves on the Lenten practice? So this book is a great way to do it. Um, again, it's a, a busy parent's guide to a meaningful Lent. You can get it at osv.com and I encourage you to do so because if you do it now, you can probably still get it by the time that Lent starts up. Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So um, what we touched on it a little bit earlier, one of the thoughts that I had um, is when we make it about, when we make Lent about this pat ourselves on the back or this thing of heroic virtue, um, a couple of different things can happen. One, we can foster pride in ourselves, which is exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be fostering. Two, two is before I became Catholic, I was still in a community that practiced Lent. And I had one of uh, the people that was in my circle of friends really get to a crisis point of faith because of Lent and the Lenten practice and and ended Hmm. up leaving the church because it was like, you know, I keep failing at this Lenten uh, practice. Why am I really giving this thing up? What good does it really make? Is God really holding this over me if I mess up? And just the, his whole conception of what faith was kind of crumbled because of a poor conception of what Lent is. Um, and, and so I think that's the other danger. One, we can destroy our faith by making ourselves the center of it. Two, mm-hmm. two we can destroy our faith by thinking that God is somehow petty and wanting to, to mete out things on us. Um, so these practices, traditional practices of of, and communal practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, how do they serve as maybe an antidote to those two ways of thinking about Lent? That's a great question and, and also a great point because I think uh, you're right. There's not only the risk for being prideful, but there's also the risk for feeling like a loser and just, oh, I can't give this up, so I give up. Instead of, um, you know, I think it's okay to a week into your Latin resolution to reevaluate if it's doing what you wanted to do or not. Um, sort of the beauty of fasting and get, when we give up things for Lent, that's the form of the fasting. Although, you know, traditionally the fasting was not, well, not eating or not eating between small meals. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think when we think about almsgiving, especially maybe as an example, it's something that's very other centered And it can be tied to our fasting. If we're giving up food, then we might have some extra food to give away. Um, But I think it's, although almsgiving is something that we're all supposed to do as Catholics all the time, Lent is a really great time to sort of reflect on, have I been bringing things to the food pantry? Have, you know, a lot of parishes have food pantries. Have I been remembering to bring a can of pasta sauce or whatever I have available? And to sort of um, recommit to trying to make that practice a reality instead of a great sort of ideal in our head. And um, 
you know, the same for fasting. Lent gives us a time to sort of reflect on, are we making an effort to make a sacrifice? And part of it, I think, has a, a very powerful supernatural reminder that the earth is a wonderful, beautiful place that God has given us to live, but it's not our final destination. And so when we give up something that we enjoy from like chocolate to Netflix to whatever, there can be a real sense of reminding ourselves of the greater beauty that still lies in store for us. And so in terms of getting back to the idea of failing Lent, I mean, there are times where sort of the temptation overwhelms us or actually I think as busy parents, it's easier to fall into the sort of the lack of recollection, which can come when you're constantly sleep deprived. <laughs> and, and if you're not proactive at making a plan of how am I going to avoid eating such and such when I'm serving it to my children? or How am I going to avoid eating between meals when my kids are snacking all day long? So um, sometimes we can accidentally <laughs> break our Lenten resolutions. But uh, when that happens, it, it, I think anytime that we sort of fail at our Lenten, resolutions is a great reminder that it's not about us and our singular willpower making it through, but this is about what's in store for us. And God is always going to have mercy on us. And, you know, if we have sorry on, if we're sorry for it, um, it could be that God is using that failing even as a way to bring us closer to him, which really is the spirit of Lent. It's a time to grow closer to God. And we can do that by failing, not if we set out to fail, right. <laughs> but by accidentally failing or falling into failure, um, we can still grow closer to God doing that during the season of Lent, just as well as we can if we're mindful of our resolutions, I think. Well, and so I have some kids that are just um, gung-ho. They're either turned on or turned off, right? There's just two speeds. <laughs> and and Know I, what that's like. <laughs> and I have one of these kids that's that way about Lent. Um, they're, they're like, oh, well, I'm going to give up this, 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 and this. And they're just like, and they're actually pretty good at it as well. Uh, but there was one year recently, it may have even just been this last year where she, who is not yet the age canonically where she has to fast. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, she said, I want to do the Lenten fast with you guys on Ash Wednesday. And we said, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So she started the she started that Lenten fast and got maybe to eleven o'clock, maybe ten thirty, and she was just mean. And we said, <laughs> "Okay, that's it. You're eating right because there's maybe sometimes where we attempt something that is really no longer penance for us, but penance for everyone else around us." Oh yes, right, absolutely. And I I actually write about this in the book, talking about how my mom friends will sometimes joke that Ash Wednesday is yelling at their kids day because <laughs> I mean, you start off like trying to keep them all quiet at a long mass where there's this distribution of the ashes or whatever part of the day you're going to, that's part of it, which is, can be stressful anyway. And then you're trying to fast and they're still eating and it's so hard to be patient. So that's another one of those times where I feel like if you know that you get hangry, <laughs> right. there's ways to be proactive and say, well, you know, we're going to go to mass, but after that, it's going to be a low key day. I'm not going to have any high expectations. This isn't going to be the day I clean the house. I'm not going to do a lot of laundry, not going to cook a fancy meal, which is appropriate for Ash Wednesday. And maybe this is going to be a day where I just sit on the couch and read, read books to my children, kind of take it easy. 
And also, you know, one thing that I learned in my research of the 1950s and 60s was that the the moralists of those times, who were very legalistic, they said it was okay to drink, as they called it, a nutritious drink on a fast day. Hmm. So, I mean, we don't want to, you know, get a milkshake or a blizzard from Dairy Queen, (laughs) something like that. That would be clearly not penitential, but, you know... um, I've in the past relied on bulletproof coffee. I don't know if you know what that is, yeah. but coffee with like butter and coconut oil in it. It's something that's, it's not going to be like delicious, and but something that will give you just a few calories to sort of make it through the, and I mean, I think during the time, the fifties and sixties, you know, probably dispensations were given pretty liberally to pregnant mothers and nursing mothers mm-hmm. because, you know, it's hard to, to make yeah. it without fasting. So now we don't rely on those dispensations as much because we're not as legalistic. But I still think going into the day, you know, you need to have it in your head, like, how am I going to get through this and have a meaningful fast day where I, I feel pangs of hunger, but it doesn't, the hunger doesn't become anger right. <laughs> and it doesn't ruin my children's day. And I say, oh, Ash Wednesday, that was the day mom always lost her temper. Yeah. Good Friday. I remember Good Friday, the day that, you know, was like miserable, quiet, and ex- quiet except for our parents yelling at us. Yeah. We don't want it to be that way. It's not a good witness to the faith for them. So, this last uh, Good Friday, because we were in the middle of the pandemic at that point, mm-hmm. we um, we put on uh, the ad the the Lent at Ephesus CD. Uh, mm-hmm. and just kind of listen to that music, which is really calming and low when you've got a lot of oh, kids okay. that want to be energetic, put on that CD. And then we put up, uh, we kind of set up a little prayer station in the, uh, in the living room with a couch. And we said, you can go and you can play in other rooms, but if you come into this room, you can spend some time in quiet and pray. And, and it was amazing how much wow, that's time beautiful. the kids would spend in there because they, they're also to some extent tired of the noise. Uh, and really it was what you were talking about earlier saying it's going to be low key. We're not, there's no expectations. The only expectation is that if you're in here with the crucifix, with the prayer station, with the music, with the, the extra black curtains blocking off as much light as we can, that, um, that you're going to spend some time in reflection. And it was really, it's the kind of thing of, okay, uh, even if we get to a place where we can go back, let's do that part again. Right. That's a really beautiful idea for observing the day. Yeah. Something else you mentioned that I think is important is the idea of, of hunger. Um, one of the, I think, I think one of the points of that Lenten fast is to redirect our appetites. And so mm-hmm. it's, I feel that, and tell me if, if this is, um, if you think this is on point or not, I think one of the important things about picking something to give up for Lent is to recognize that it's something that we're going to at some point notice the loss of and long yes. for so that when we have that longing, we can redirect it to where it really properly belongs. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, um, I had this conversation with someone else about giving up a sin for Lent. (laughs) And you're never (laughs) supposed to give up a sin for Lent. You give up a sin whenever you notice you're sinning it, you know. Um, That has to be a constant effort. Um, But we give up something, like you're saying, it's something that's good, that we can appreciate well in moderation, that we feel like, you know, like I said, it's a good, beautiful world. But when we, as you're saying, when we have that sort of longing for this thing we've given up, it reminds us to redirect our appetites 
where they should be, which is heaven and where we're going to be spending eternal life. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point. And you mentioned there um, that you were supposed to give up sin whenever we see it. So let's bring in that other practice, that important right. practice of Lent, um, of confession, of contrition and confession. When we, when we inevitably, right. as we are facing um, or, or quieting ourselves down, we're inevitably faced with the things that we fall short in. This is right. also a great time for us to re-engage in the practice of the sacrament of confession. Absolutely. So I, uh, as I organized the book, I had a practice for each week and I actually made the sacrament of reconciliation, the practice for week three. Obviously it's not something you do every day, but that week, but, but the idea was, um, to get people in mind of like planning to actually go, because sometimes it's one of those, oh, well, I'd like to go to confession, but then somehow you never have the time to do it because you're a busy parent. And so, but there are ways, you know, you have, you have to research where are they available, when fits with your family schedule, maybe have to talk to your spouse about making sure it can happen. Or if you're taking your children, how, how can you take all your children? Sometimes with a large family, it's worth making an appointment with the priest and just bringing everyone in at the same time. Because let me tell Uh, you, when you show up and we've got, uh, we've got eight. So when you show up in a line and you walk into the confession to the church, I mean, all eyes kind of turn and they shift and they're like, well, I'm not making it in today. (laughs) Which may or may not be true. I don't know. I only have, so I only have three that are confession age at this Mm -hmm. point. And so we try to go, confession starts four o'clock on Saturday. We go at four o'clock. We try to be the first ones in there. And my kids are pretty quick. You know, kids shouldn't, they, ideally are not committing mortal sins at their age. So, you know, it shouldn't take so long. I don't know. And I, this is just a bonus tip coming for me. But uh, one of the things I do with my kids is I I do try to, it's not bribery, but I try to sweeten the grace a little more by picking them up. You know, some kids like fries from McDonald's or something that they can have a positive association with it. And it, um, it really, it, with my kids, I feel like it uh, makes it even more special. You know, it makes it something they look forward to and it's time alone with mom because I just, I take them and my husband goes on a different day. But um, yeah, I think during the season of Lent, the church asks us to go to confession. So it's not, um, I mean, it's in, let's see, that's from the Council of Trent, right? So, and um, actually that practice of saying that you had to go to confession once a year was really to try to get people to receive the Eucharist because at that time people felt so guilty about their sins that they then wouldn't receive the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. So Trent came out with this, you know, declaration that Catholics are meant, they're meant to receive the Eucharist on Easter Sunday, at least once a year. And then in preparation for that, they should also receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And since then there's been you know, a development in the practice where now we're able to receive the Eucharist so much more, which is a a great blessing. Um, And then in terms of receiving the Sacrament of Reconciliation, of course, we can go every week if we have access to it and are able to do it. But during the season of Lent, again, like we're meant to be doing penance for our sins as part of the preparation for Easter. So it's a really powerful time to, instead of just generically saying like, oh, for all my sins, to offer specific (laughs) things, you know, and when we're giving up, again, you're talking about um, redirecting the longings. Well, it's also important when you're doing that, if you're 
really hankering for something you gave up. You can also specifically say, this is for all the times I yelled at my children, or this is for when I cheated on that math test in sixth grade, or whatever sin, you know, because sometimes these sins, even after we confess them, they can still sort of weigh on our minds, especially if we're constantly dealing with the effects. I know for myself personally, as a parent, I feel like I'm constantly dealing with the effects of my sin because I hear my kids say things, you know, rudely or sarcastically (laughs) (laughs) the same way I say it to them. And then I, I realize that, you know, I have some things to atone for here. So, um, not, which is not to be hard on yourself, but penance doesn't mean very much unless you have specific ideas of what your sins are, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why I tried to incorporate this, um, trying to make it to confession at least once during the season of Lent. And ideally, you know, it is, like I said, this is a spring training. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, season of Lent, I'll go to confession and then I won't ever go again until next Lent. Right. I mean, that's not really ideal because our sins kind of build up. We forget what we did. But most of all, because God provides us with grace and mercy in the sacrament. That's what it's really about. It's not really about, again, like a sort of legalistic crossing. Oh, now I can cross that sin off because I've been forgiven of it. It's more like now I have this grace to go forth and try to start anew. And am I going to look at my phone again too much this week? Maybe. But at least I recognize it and I'm trying to address it in a sort of proactive way with the help of God's grace instead of letting it all fall back upon my own self-control and willpower, you know, instead of relying on God's grace and mercy to help me provide the assist. Yeah. The book... The book is A Busy Parent to a Meaningful Lent, and there's much, much more in that book that will help you as you try to prepare yourself for the graces of Easter. It's available on OSV Press. You can get it at osv.com. Dr. Maria C. Morrow has been with us, adjunct professor of Catholic studies at Seton Hall University. Maria, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on, and have a great Lent. If you missed any part of that conversation with Maria, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or maybe you want to share it with your friends on social media, well, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the feed so that you never miss an episode. It always downloads to your phone or your podcast aggregating device of choice. Uh, While you're there, maybe you want to dig a little bit deeper. Well, We always, each and every week, have extra content uh, with our guests that we make available to those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and there's a number of different tiers and a number of different uh, rewards and goodies that they receive. You can find out more right there on OutsideTheBalls.com. At the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link to learn more. Well, now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. You can get your own Verbum Library by going to Verbum.com. Try it free for 30 days and see what you think. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight— and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. That reading comes from two different sections of Hebrews 12. And this should be an encouragement for us, although at first glance it doesn't look all that much like like encouragement. For instance, it says it says to us, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And I love that he puts the word there, yet, right? You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, as if it's still a distinct possibility. And yet, and yet, uh, this is... Uh, an encouragement for us that even in these difficult moments where we recognize our own fallenness and we just can't seem to get things right, he's like, it's okay. Um, in this struggle, you've not yet shed your own blood. And, and he did shed his own blood for you, right? In this roundabout way, this is an encouragement. It is an encouragement that he, as we are following him, aren't enduring anything that he has not already first endured himself. And we see there that he endured it and despised the shame of it for the joy that was set before him. And so too we have this joy of Easter set before us that gives us the hope to continue, to press on, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the the perfecter of our faith, even in this moment where we may feel chastised or disciplined, even in these moments where we don't feel like we have it all together, we can rest in confidence knowing that he is with us, that he has adopted us and brought us into the family of God. Our reading from church history expounds on that as we hear this reading from the breviary from Ash Wednesday that comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement. Let us fix our attention on the blood of Christ and recognize how precious it is to God his Father, since it was shed for our salvation and brought the grace of repentance to all the world. If we review the various ages of history, we will see that in every generation the Lord has offered the opportunity of repentance to any who were willing to turn to him. When Noah preached God's message of repentance, all who listened to him were saved. Jonah told the Ninevites that they were going to be destroyed, but when they repented, their prayers gained God's forgiveness for their sins, and they were saved, even though they were not of God's people. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the ministers of God's grace have spoken of repentance. Indeed, the master of the whole universe himself spoke of repentance with an oath. As I live, says the Lord, I do not wish the death of the sinner, but his repentance." 
he added this evidence of his goodness. House of Israel, repent of your wickedness. Tell the sons of my people, if their sins should reach from earth to heaven, if they are brighter than scarlet and blacker than sackcloth, you need only turn to me with your whole heart and say, Father, and I will listen to you as to a holy people. In other words, God wanted all his beloved ones to have the opportunity to repent, and he confirmed this desire by his own almighty will. That is why we should obey his sovereign and glorious will and prayerfully entreat his mercy and kindness. We should be suppliant before him and turn to his compassion, rejecting empty words and quarreling and jealousy, which only lead to death. Brothers, we should be humble in mind, putting aside all arrogance, pride, and foolish anger. Rather, we should act in accordance with the Scriptures. As the Holy Spirit says, The wise man must not glory in his wisdom, nor the strong man in his strength, nor the rich man in his riches. Rather, let him who glories glory in the Lord by seeking him and doing what is right and just. Recall especially that the Lord Jesus said when he taught gentleness and forbearance. Be merciful, he said, so that you may have mercy shown to you. Forgive so that you may be forgiven. As you treat others, so you will be treated. As you give, so you will receive. As you judge, so you will be judged. As you are kind to others, so you will be kindly treated. The measure of your giving will be the measure of your receiving. Let these commandments and precepts strengthen us to live in humble obedience to his sacred words. As Scripture asks, Whom shall I look upon with favor except the humble, peaceful man who trembles at my words? Sharing then in the heritage of so many vast and glorious achievements, let us hasten towards the goal of peace set before us from the beginning. Let us keep our eyes firmly fixed on the Father and Creator of the whole universe and hold fast to His splendid and transcendent gifts of peace and all His blessings. That reading comes from the letter of St. Clement to the Corinthians. We're invited, starting Wednesday, into this season of penance, into a season of self-examination and repentance into a season of turning our hearts fully to Christ and denying ourselves and following him, not for the purpose of denying ourselves, but for the purpose of following him. So let's journey together through this Lenten season with joy in our hearts, even as we fast and pray and give alms for the joy that's set before us, the joy of the resurrection, the joy of Easter. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace.